0: And welcome to Presidential Profiles. I'm your host, Nicole Larson, and today we will be talking about former President Richard Nixon, also known as Tricky Dick, mostly known for his involvement in the infamous Watergate scandal and his subsequent resignation. But there's so much more to this politician than just his last year in office. Before we dive into how this man came to be president, let's figure out what is generally known about Richard Nixon by having a chat with American Carissa Zhu. sitting down with American Carissa Zoo to assess where Richard Nixon lies in the public mind and gauge his legacy in the United States. Thank you so much, Carissa. And my first question for you is basically what are the first three words that come to mind when you hear the name Richard Nixon?
1: Um, I'd have to say the first three words would be um, like not a crook. Isn't that what he said? Yeah. I feel like that's just the phrase I associate with him um, and the Watergate scandal and all that.
0: Great, so Nixon was president from 1969 to 1974. So
1: what comes to mind when you think of that time period? Um, I think of, I think the Vietnam War, because I feel like that was like a 70s thing. And um, I guess also Watergate, because that's just what I associate with him. yeah, I'd say like those two are the main things. I don't really know what else, yeah. So then as best as you can,
0: um, how would you describe Nixon as a leader? Do you think he was an effective
1: leader? Um, That's a good question. I don't know. I, like, I really don't know much about, I maybe he was not an effective leader because I feel like you just hear about the bad things that he did and maybe if he was, if he made those decisions, he wouldn't have made other decisions as well as he should have Um, but I don't really hear much about like I don't know much about his like policy initiatives or like what he did in office other than like the whole Watergate thing Um, yeah I'd say like maybe not an effective
0: leader (laughs) that kind of leads into my next question um, which
1: is growing up like what did you learn about Nixon in school or did you learn or whatever um I yeah I definitely learned about him I feel like maybe it's just like I don't remember much because I like never really paid attention to American history um but I would say yeah like we just learned about the Watergate thing and he was one of the only presidents who was he no he like was the only one who resigned um and yeah I feel like that's it yeah yeah <laughs> So, um, what do you know about the whole
0: Watergate scandal and his impeachment, the end of his presidency?
1: Um, so, okay. So I think it was like the Watergate hotel and it was something to do with like one of the national conventions. And I think like people snuck into some office and there was like they were trying to get a hold of like secret information I believe but basically it was like not a very like good thing to do and it like came out later because I think like some journalists like broke the story and he was like I guess he was like I'm not a crook (laughs) I didn't do this um I actually yeah he was I guess he was impeached I feel like I knew that but I'm not sure if I did um but I think he eventually resigned at the end of it I guess to like avoid the whole drama of it all
0: So then on a scale of one to 10, one being the worst, 10 being the best, where would you place Nixon as a president?
1: I feel like I would place him at a five because like, you know, taking into account the whole like scandal thing, like I feel like if that's the worst thing that happened during his presidency, like there's so many other presidents that have done like way worse. Um, Just like, I like, yeah, with, I don't know, like, Trump Or like Andrew Jackson or like other bad people where there's like so many bad things that have happened. So I feel like if that's the main thing that people talk about like it's bad but like not the worst so like I give him a five.
0: I love that reasoning.
1: <laughs> um,
0: so what would you say is the lasting legacy of Richard Nixon.
1: I would definitely say I feel like his legacy whatever he has done during his presidency has obviously been like overshadowed by the whole scandal and like impeachment and resignation. Um, So I'd say definitely, I just, I feel like kids learn about him as like the only president who's resigned and like one of the only presidents who's been impeached.
0: Well, thank you so much, Carissa, for giving your insight on Mr. Richard Nixon. Thank you for having me. This short interview with Carissa was very telling about how most Americans only really learned about Nixon with regard to his involvement in Watergate and his resignation, rather than his policies or his accomplishments as a politician. But now let's hear a few messages from our sponsors before we dive into the life and presidency of Richard Nixon.
2: Presidential Profiles is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is supporting us today, and they're ready to support you by turning your dream into a reality. They make it easy to launch your passion project. Are you looking to start a new business? Do you want to showcase your work? Do you want to sell your products? Well, Squarespace is the tool for you. They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers and the ability to customize just about anything with a few clicks so you can easily make a beautiful website all by yourself. They have powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online, and analytics that help you grow your site in real time. Everything is optimized for mobile right out the box, so there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Buying domains is simple, and you can get all the help you need. With their 24-7 award-winning customer support, Squarespace empowers millions of people. Whether you're a designer, lawyer, artist, gamer, or restaurateur, turn your great idea into a reality. Head over to Squarespace.com now to set up your website today. Presidential Profiles is brought to you by Stamps.com. Let's face it, taking trips to the post office is probably not how you want to be spending your time. That's why we're recommending mailing and shipping through Stamps.com. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime straight from your computer. You'll even get discounted rates from UPS, USPS, and other mail carriers. Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. With Stamps.com you'll get discounted rates while also enjoying convenience. Whether you're a small business sending out letters or a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages each day, Stamps.com will help you do it all with ease. Use your printer to print out your shipping label, slap it on your letter or package, then schedule a pickup or drop it off. With Stamps.com you can get up to 40% off on postal services and up to 60% off on UPS shipping. Over 1 million businesses already use Stamps.com, So join them in convenience and efficiency by visiting stamps.com.
0: Richard Milhouse Nixon was born on January 9, 1913 in Yorba Linda, California, on his family's lemon ranch to Hannah and Francis Nixon, who also had four other sons. His family was composed of devout Quakers, and Richard grew up refraining from alcohol, dancing, and swearing. After the lemon business failed, the Nixons moved to Whittier, California in 1922, an area with a lot of other Quakers. Francis Nixon then started a grocery store and a gas station business. Richard was quoted saying of his childhood, We were poor, but the glory of it was that we didn't know it. Each day during his teen years, Nixon would drive to Los Angeles at 4 a.m. to buy vegetables, then would bring them back to Whittier to wash and sell them in his father's store. Nixon graduated third in his class from high school and was offered a grant to attend Harvard University, but his brother Harold's increased ailing from tuberculosis made Richard stay in Whittier to work at the family store. He attended Whittier College where he played on the basketball team and became a founder of a new literary society on campus. After graduating with a history degree in 1934, Nixon received a full scholarship to attend Duke University of Law. He was even elected to the Duke Bar Association, graduating in 1937. He then returned to California and was admitted to the California Bar. He joined the law firm Winger & Bewley in Whittier and worked mostly on corporate law. The next year, Nixon joined a community production of the play The Dark Tower and quickly fell in love with one of his castmates, a high school teacher named Thelma Ryan, though she went by Pat. They dated for about two years and were married on June twenty-first, 1940. The two settled down in Whittier and had two daughters, Trisha and Julie. But as World War II raged on, Nixon wanted to get more involved in the war effort, so he moved his family to Washington, D.C., and took a job at the Office of Price Administration assigned to the Tire Rationing Division. Not long after, he joined the United States Navy, Technically, since he worked in a government service position, he could have been exempt from the draft. But on June 15, 1942, Nixon was appointed a Lieutenant Junior Grade in the U.S. Naval Reserve. He showed great aptitude for naval service and was later assigned to the South Pacific Combat Air Transport Command on the other side of the world and was subsequently promoted to Lieutenant. He returned from duty in 1946 and Nixon and his family returned to Whittier as he began campaigning for California's 12th Congressional District. He won his campaign and began his career as a congressman. He served on the Education and Labor Committee, as well as the Herder Committee in Congress, actually the youngest member of the Herder Committee, and traveled to Europe to support the rebuilding effort after World War II. He also joined the House Un-American Activities Committee, or HUAC, which sought to find communists in the U.S. government. Nixon was such a staunch anti-communist that he supported the Munt-Nixon bill that would require the actual registration of all Communist Party members in the U.S. And in 1948, Nixon easily won re-election for his seat in Congress. The next year, he decided to start campaigning for one of California's Senate seats. He beat the Democratic candidate and won the election by 20 percentage points. While serving in the Senate, Nixon continued his anti-communism campaign. Then, when Republican Dwight D. Eisenhower was nominated for president in 1952, he chose young Senate Republican Richard Nixon as his running mate. Support for Nixon wavered, however, when it was revealed that Nixon had a political fund that reimbursed him for political expenses. While not illegal, this seriously jeopardized Nixon's spot on the ticket. But on September 23rd, 1952, support leaned back in Nixon's favor after his famous Checkers speech, which actually racked up the largest television audience up to that point. He said the only gift that he had ever received through politics was, quote, a little Cocker Spaniel dog sent all the way from Texas, and our little girl Tricia named it Checkers, end quote. So Eisenhower kept Nixon on the ticket, and in November, the pair won the election. Nixon was notably more involved in the nation's running than most other vice presidents. Um, For six weeks after Eisenhower suffered a heart attack, Nixon carried out the duties of president, but without challenging Dwight's authority. Then in 1956, the Eisenhower-Nixon team was elected to a second term. Also, something to insert here that I think is such a fun coincidence is that one of Richard's daughters, Julie, would later marry David Eisenhower, a grandson of Dwight. Anyway, after Eisenhower's second term was up, Nixon started his first campaign for president. He gained the Republican nomination and chose Henry Cabot Lodge Jr. as his running mate. His Democratic opponent, John F. Kennedy. The 1960 election brought a new method of campaigning, televised presidential debates. Nixon appeared pale, old, and unkept on television next to the young photogenic Kennedy during the first debate. Those listening to the first debate over the radio concluded that Nixon had won the debate, but those who watched it on television believed Kennedy to have won. Kennedy won the election, only gaining 0.2% more of the popular vote than Nixon. So Nixon left his VP position and returned to California. He continued to practice law and wrote the best-selling book, Six Crises. Nixon ran for governor of California in 1962 but lost to incumbent Pat Brown. The family then moved again, this time to New York City, where Nixon started the law firm Nixon, Mudge, Rose, Guthrie, and Alexander. But then in 1968, Nixon launched another campaign for president. He gained the Republican nomination again and chose Maryland Governor Spiro Agnew as his running mate this time. This time, Nixon ran against another former VP, Democrat Hubert Humphrey, who served as VP to Lyndon Johnson. It ended up being a three-way race instead of the usual two-way, two-party race between Nixon Humphrey and American Independent Party candidate and former Alabama governor George Wallace. Nixon learned his lesson from his first run as president and now used the television as a campaign tool, even appearing on the popular comedy show Laugh In!, all three candidates received electoral college votes, but Nixon won the 1968 election, becoming the first former vice president to have returned to private life and later be elected president. In his victory speech, Nixon made promises to bring a divided nation together. In his inaugural address, Nixon said, quote, we cannot learn from one another until we stop shouting at one another, until we speak quietly enough so that our words can be heard as well as our voices, end quote. Nixon's administration had a strong emphasis on foreign policy. In early 1972, Nixon surprised everyone with a visit to China, because as an anti-communist leader, Nixon met with the leader of one of the largest communist nations, Chairman Mao Zedong. Interestingly, Nixon was the first president to visit a nation that was not recognized by the U.S.'s own government. At this time, the United States officially recognized Taiwan as the legitimate government of China, but Nixon met with the Communist Party of mainland China. This trip to China also marked a very important moment in American history, well, at least important to me, and that is the introduction of pandas to the National Zoo. While at a dinner with Chinese officials, Pat Nixon explained how much she loved seeing the pandas at the Peking Zoo. In an act of what is now known as panda diplomacy, in which China loans pandas to various countries as an act of goodwill, two pandas were sent to the National Zoo in DC. Pat Nixon attended the dedication of the panda house at the zoo, and the city was totally not prepared for the popularity that these pandas brought with them from China. People visited every day, standing rose deep just to catch glimpses of Ling Ling and Sing Sing. But the most important foreign policy issue at this time was, of course, the Vietnam War. Nixon became president at about the apex of the war, and support for the war was dropping drastically in the U.S., with protests every day. Nixon concluded that the war could not be won, and now faced the issue of trying to get the U.S. out of Vietnam. In 1969, Nixon visited South Vietnam and introduced the strategy of Vietnamization in which American troops were slowly replaced with Vietnamese troops. But at the same time, Nixon authorized incursions into Laos and Cambodia. The U.S. invaded Cambodia in an attempt to block the Ho Chi Minh Trail that supplied North Vietnam with forces. Between 1970 and 1973, almost 150,000 people were killed during the bombings of Cambodia. Many criticized Nixon because he campaigned on the promise to end the Vietnam War, but it wasn't until two years after his election that the American troops actually left the country. The Paris Peace Accords in 1973 finally put a stop to the fighting and resulted in the withdrawal of the remaining American troops. But just two years later, North Vietnam would conquer South Vietnam. Another important foreign issue that the U.S. was involved with at the time was the ongoing Cold War with the Soviet Union, In Nixon's visit to the USSR, the two nations signed two arms control treaties, SALT-1 and the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. While Nixon's presidency focused more on foreign relations, he also had some notable achievements on the domestic front. Like, I bet you never thought of Nixon as an environmentalist, but in 1970, Nixon created the first Earth Day, and in June of the same year, created the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA. He was a supporter of the Clean Air Act, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, and the National Environmental Policy Act. Nixon was also a supporter for the federalization of Medicaid for low-income families and a private health insurance mandate for employers. He also declared a war on cancer, launching a $100 million campaign to help fund and find a cure. I bet you also never thought of Nixon as a civil rights activist. Well, maybe activist is a strong word, but he certainly was a supporter. His presidency resulted in the mass desegregation of public schools, and in 1970, Nixon implemented the Philadelphia Plan, the first federal affirmative action plan. He endorsed the Equal Rights Amendment in 1972 and supported black capitalism. Also, while not a huge feminist, Nixon did appoint more women to the administration positions than Democrat Lyndon Johnson had. And in 1972, Nixon signed Title IX, a civil rights law that prohibits gender bias at universities receiving federal aid. Even as a Republican, Nixon is called by some, the last liberal. But what Nixon will always be remembered for is the infamous Watergate scandal and his resignation. Nixon was re-elected as president in 1972 in a landslide victory, but it was not long after that that the Watergate scandal would lead to the end of his presidency. The term Watergate has now become an umbrella term for the plethora of illegal activities from the Nixon administration, but all of these illegal activities were made public after five men were caught breaking into the Democratic Party headquarter offices in the Watergate building on June 17, 1972. This break-in intended to repair wiretaps that had previously been placed and to seal copies of top-secret documents. What's interesting is that this story was almost pushed under the rug after Nixon claimed no part in the incident. The break-in was not front-page news for long, and all seemed to be resolved. He was elected for a second term that fall, with most voters believing that the break-in had nothing to do with Nixon. But there were two Washington Post reporters, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward, who clung to the story and, through their investigation, were aided by an FBI informant known as Deep Throat later revealed to be a man named Mark Fell. It was through this investigation that connections were made between the break-in and Nixon's administration. It was also revealed through the investigation that some top Republican officials had been involved in sabotage and manipulation to try and ensure that George McGovern was Nixon's Democratic opposition in the 1972 election, because he was seen as more of a weak opponent. About a year after the break-in, Congress started the Watergate hearings, in which the public got all of the details about what their president was involved in. While some of Nixon's top aides were under oath in these hearings, it was revealed that Nixon secretly taped every conversation that took place in the Oval Office. Nixon then faced immense legal pressure to release these tapes, but he refused. In an event called the Saturday Night Massacre, Nixon asked the Attorney General to fire the Special Prosecutor so that he would not be forced to release the unredacted tapes from the Oval Office. The AG declined to do so, so Nixon fired him. Nixon then asked the Assistant AG to fire the Special Prosecutor, and he refused to do so as well, so Nixon fired him too. And by the end of the whole Watergate scandal, a total of 48 officials were convicted of wrongdoing. Eventually, the Supreme Court forced Nixon to release the tapes, which proved to be detrimental to his character and to his presidency. There was now evidence of the president himself talking about the planned break-ins, as well as engaging in obstruction of justice. It seems as though Nixon himself didn't explicitly order the break-in, but he used his position as president to operate a large-scale cover-up and go beyond the law to make sure that he would not be implicated. Also on the tapes were some fairly anti-Semitic conversations. In July of 1974, the House Judiciary Committee brought forth three articles of impeachment, but Nixon resigned before there was any voting done in the House. On August 9, 1974, Richard Nixon became the first president to ever resign from the position. Nixon could have actually been indicted on these charges, but his VP, who then became president, Gerald Ford, pardoned him. You may be wondering, where did this Ford guy come from? I thought that Spiro Agnew was Nixon's vice president. Well, about a year before Nixon's own resignation, Spiro Agnew resigned for the unrelated reason of taking bribes, which he had apparently been doing for years. Nixon called for Spiro's resignation to try and deflect from his own legal battle and then appointed Ford to the position. Interestingly, Gerald Ford is the only vice president and president to have not been elected to either position, as he was appointed to the position of VP and assumed power of the presidency after Nixon's resignation. He never underwent a national election. Importantly, it was the scandal of Watergate that led to a sense of mistrust and a loss of faith in the office of the presidency. Nixon never admitted immediate wrongdoing in the Watergate scandal, only that he regretted not being more forthcoming. He said he was only, quote, wrong in not acting more decisively in dealing with Watergate. No words can describe the depth of my regret and pain at the anguish my mistakes have caused and caused the nation and the presidency, a nation I so deeply love and an institution I so greatly respect, end quote. The 1974 midterm elections proved the effect that Watergate and Ford's pardon of Nixon had with the Republican loss of 43 seats in the House and three in the Senate. Nixon took a job in a Coast Guard station near his home in California and worked on writing his memoirs. In 1976, Nixon was disbarred by the New York State Bar Association for obstruction of justice in the Watergate scandal. In 1978, Nixon published his memoir, R.N., the Memoirs of Richard Nixon, and would go on to write nine more books during his retirement. Nixon was not cut from the presidential narrative, however. He joined subsequent presidents on some of their foreign affairs trips, and even advised some in their foreign policy. On April 18, 1994, Nixon suffered a stroke, and after falling into a coma, died four days later at the age of 81 in Manhattan, New York. His funeral was attended by the five other living presidents at that time and their wives. Time Magazine's coverage of his death said that Nixon achieved in recovering and rebuilding himself after every self-created disaster that he faced. Quote, to reclaim a respected place in American public life after his resignation, he kept traveling and thinking and talking to the world's leaders. Bill Clinton, whose wife served on the staff of the committee that voted to impeach Nixon, met openly with him, and regularly sought his advice. Nixon left behind a clouded legacy. His actions in Vietnam and the Watergate scandal resulted in the mistrust of the federal government that still remains prevalent today. He deceived the American people and participated in obstruction above the law. But his advancement in domestic affairs with regards to civil rights and health care cannot go unnoted, as well as his work towards relations with China and the USSR. In short, Nixon is a prime example of how mistakes can cloud one's legacy. Just like Carissa said at the top of the episode, Nixon might have done some great things, but all that's really taught about him and past in history are the Watergate scandal and his resignation. I would like to end with my favorite quote that I found from Richard Nixon. Quote, if you take no risks, you will suffer no defeat." but if you take no risks, you will win no victories, end quote. And that definitely seemed to be the mentality of this past U.S. president. Thank you so much for listening to this episode about Richard Nixon, and I hope you stick around for the next one, where we will be talking about Ulysses S. Grant. A special thank you to Carissa Zhu for letting me ask her some questions about Nixon to gauge where his legacy lies in the American mind. And as always, thank you to intern Meredith for her reading of our advertisements. Hope to see you all next week.